You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for their support of Faith and Family. To learn more about Concordia University, Wisconsin, you can go to our website, kfuo.org, and look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Lately on social media... I've seen many posts, pictures, and hashtags from moms and dads sharing their very personal stories of losing their babies to miscarriage, stillbirth, or an illness that couldn't be healed. Many times we don't realize how many expectant parents experience these sorrowful times. But with more of these parents opening up on social media, these stories are being shared and friends and family are able to grieve alongside those who are hurting. It's also an opportunity to share the comfort of the gospel of Jesus. It's my honor to have four mothers joining me today to share their personal stories of pregnancy and infant loss. And these stories are not easy to tell. They're full of pain and grief, but also the hope that is in Jesus Christ and the promise of the resurrection and eternal life. It is my hope, dear listener, that these stories can bring hope and comfort to you or your sister or friend or daughter or mother or wife. And go get your box of tissues now. You might need it later on. Joining me today are Audrey Denzer, Kristen Gregory, Adrian Rasmussen, and Melanie Sorensen. Welcome, ladies, and thank you so much for sharing, uh, taking this time to share your stories with me. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So uh, first, um, let's learn a little bit about each of you. So we're, we're, we'll go in order. Audrey, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your family? Sure. Uh, my husband is a pastor and we live in rural North Dakota. Uh, we have two daughters, Lucia is four and Monica is two. And I was due with our third child on um, July 17 of this year. Um, but I went in for my 20-week ultrasound on um, Ash Wednesday. And so far, before that, everything had been looking great. Um, we had heard the baby's heartbeat and um, everything just looked fine. But they told me that the baby had died probably around 17 weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, they, get, they let us go home and just kind of think about our options. And they said um, the baby was too large to have a DNC. So I came back on that following Saturday and they induced labor and they delivered a baby girl. And um, she was about the size of my hand. She weighed about four ounces and um, it was just kind of amazing. You know, she had like 10 little tiny fingers and toes and um, just a little, her facial features were all there and just just amazing, but um, we named her Perpetua Felicity um, after the early Christian martyrs, and her name means everlasting happiness. We, uh, when she was buried in our little church's cemetery about two weeks later, um, one of our local pastor friends did the burial service for us. <laughs> Thank you. So, that's my family. Kristen, what about you? Can you tell me your story? Sure. Um, I got married in two thousand and seven, I think that's right. Yeah. 2007, June, um, to my husband, Peter. And we had talked before we got married about wanting to be open to kids. And we didn't know if we would ever have any, or if we would have a dozen, but we were just willing to take whatever God gave us. So we were very surprised, but excited to find out a couple of weeks after our honeymoon that we were expecting. And, um, Everything seemed to be pretty normal, but at about seven months, um, I was 33 weeks along, 
I went in for my normal um, exam with my midwife and she said, you know, you haven't really grown at all. So I'd like to see an ultrasound. And we hadn't um, got maternity insurance. We hadn't purchased maternity insurance because we just didn't think anything would ever happen to us. So um, I said, are you sure I need to do that? That's, you know, going to cost some money. And she said, yeah, I'd like to see an ultrasound. So I went in for an ultrasound. And the doctor who read it um, said, well, we're going to do a C-section right now. Something's wrong. And um, I had two kids sitting on my lap. I was a nanny. And I had these kids sitting on my lap. And I said, what do I do with these these kids. And she said, call somebody, find someone to take them. So I called their parents and well, that's a whole lot of details, but anyway, I got um, rid of those kids and went in for my C-section. And the doctor said, you know, I don't know what's going to, what we're going to come out with, if the baby's going to live or, or what. So they ended up doing the C-section. We baptized her right away. As soon as they got her on, a, on the ventilator, mm-hmm. um, we named her Vivian. We didn't know Uh, if she was going to be a boy or a girl and we hadn't really had a name ready, but her name was Vivian Anastasia, um, meaning life and, and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And, um, she ended up living for six months. She lived in the hospital for six months. She had a growth deficiency called Russell silver syndrome, which they diagnosed her with at about, about three months old. And it was a dwarfism that had affected her growth in utero, which affected her heart and lung development. And she basically was on a ventilator her whole life. She was off for a week or two here and there, but she was on a ventilator for her whole life. And they just kept trying different things to save her. And after about six months, um, her heart gave out. So that's, um, she actually died. You said July 17th was your due date. She died on July 17th. So of 2008. So she lived about half a year um, in the hospital. Wow. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And Adrian, can you tell me your story? My husband and I are high school sweethearts and we were married in 1996. And um, my husband was studying overseas um, in his second year, M, year of MDiv um, to become a pastor and in 2008 was my first pregnancy after what, 12 years of patience and praying. And um, mm-hmm. I got pregnant and we were uh, over overseas in England and in for a 13 week ultrasound, just uh, two weeks before I was supposed to fly home. And of course we were gonna fly home and tell the family and have the big party. I'm sorry, I didn't expect to get emotional. Um, <laughs> That's all right. But at 13 weeks, I went in for my first ultrasound and we hadn't told anybody. And the technician said, I'm sorry, baby died five weeks ago. So we made a very frantic phone call back to a friend who was a nurse who said, you need to get in there and have that DNC done. Um, and so we had the DNC. Uh, it was, uh, you know, now nah, nah, we expected to fly home. We were hoping to come home after 12 years of waiting to tell everybody we were expecting, but... Mm-hmm. Or has blessed us with two two girls um, since after sixteen years and eighteen years of marriage we have. Uh, a- Adrian, could you tell me uh, about about your two children again? You were breaking up a little there. Yeah, I know. I seem to have a little trouble breaking up. So we we um after our first miscarriage, uh, you know, after we're married for twelve years. Uh, what would I say? Twelve years. Mm-hmm. Um, pregnancy at 16 years with a, a little girl two years later almost exactly born two years later another little girl so it's 
it's um we are thankful for the blessings we have and as strange as it sounds we're we're thankful for the miscarriage and the life that god gave us um first and the the opportunity to witness to others um the hope mm-hmm. that we have absolutely melanie can you share your story Yes. Um, my husband and I met at Concordia um, River Forest, uh, now Concordia, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we were married um, over our Christmas break our last year in 2004. And we had one semester left. So we spent our first semester of married life uh, living in a room in a stairwell at Concordia (laughs) and uh, having quite the adventure to the start of our young married life. Um, We found out just a few months in that we were expecting and um, I gave birth on December 27th of 2005 to our first child, a son. And we now um, getting ready to celebrate our 13th wedding anniversary, um, in December have six boys, but we also have six children with the Lord. Um, and one of those was between our third and our fourth. And then we had five losses, um, in 2013. I, don't know what happened that year. Doctors don't know what happened. Um, there were no medical explanations for it. Um, it was simply that the Lord gave and the Lord took away. And the first of those losses was particularly emotional for me because I found out that I was expecting that baby on the anniversary of the day that um, my father was killed in a plane crash. Oh, wow. Um, I could not believe that the Lord would give me such beautiful news on such a hard day. Um, and I was so overjoyed, of course, as with all my other children. Um, and then the Friday before Ash Wednesday that year, I had, I was 12 weeks and, um, my midwife and I had an appointment and we couldn't find a heartbeat. And I went in for an ultrasound and the baby was perfectly developed right on track, but did not have a beating heart. And so they believed the baby had died just a day or two before, um, I carried the baby for 10 days after that, waiting to give birth because I wanted to be able to bury the baby's body. Um, And that took me through Ash Wednesday um, and the start of the Lenten services, which was extremely emotional to go through. Um, And then on February 18th, I gave birth and the baby was, you know, about two inches long and perfectly formed and, we had the baby at home and were able to bury the baby and my children were able to see and hold their little sibling. And then just a few months later, I conceived again and had multiple complications with that pregnancy, um, was offered an abortion while I was still um, carrying a living child. 
um, which I, of course, declined. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the baby passed away and um, I miscarried. And then I had three more consecutive early miscarriages. And then six weeks after my fifth loss, um, I conceived again and was certain that I was preparing for another miscarriage. And uh, eight months later, we delivered another healthy baby boy. Um, And then I have another son since then and have not had any further losses. It's beautiful. Thank you. So all of this is, I mean, these are, (laughs) these are very difficult stories to, to hear and, and to share, I'm sure. So I thank you for, for sharing those. I know that's very, that's difficult. Um, What pieces from God's word or what hymn verses or devotions um, were, did you cling to right away? Um, You know, these things kind of happen out of the blue really. And, and, and when you're hit with, with that kind of a shock, what, what, what pieces and promises um, did you hold on to um, through, through the start of that grieving process? Um, Well, I, at the beginning, I, I almost didn't even know what to pray. You know, I couldn't even come up with the words. Um, just Lord have mercy. But thankfully, some of my dear friends sent me cards and emails. And a couple of them wrote out hymn stanzas for me, which was just such a huge help because they were so comforting. And they put those words in my mouth and on my heart to pray. Um, one of them sent a stanza from Paul Gerhard's Christmas hymn, um, Oh Jesus Christ, Thy Manger Is. Mm. And um, do you mind if I read it real quick? Should go for it. Um, it goes, He whom the sea and wind obey, doth come to serve the sinner in great meekness. Thou God's own Son, with us art one, thus join us in our children in our weakness. And there's another stanza in that hymn that's beautiful too that talks about, um, you know, even if we're sorrowful. Um, we can remember that Christ joined himself to us and has great mercy for us. So hymns like that were just very comforting for me. Um, there's such great hymns in our hymnals and in the trust section, there's a lot of great ones and hope and comfort is another great section. Um, what God ordains was always good. Um, why should cross and trial grief me? We sing that at Perpetua's burial service. And um, just really comforting. Absolutely. Melanie, what about you? I can say a lot of the same things about hymnody. Um, one of the most comforting things to me, um, which is not a specific scripture passage, but rather um, a couple of books were um, Katie Sherman's He Remembers the Baron, um, as well as her second book um, in a series, um, Choir Immortal. And those Choir Immortal, I think I must have gone through about 15 boxes of tissues while I read that book, um, because obviously one of the characters endures um, a loss and, and the church as a whole deals with grief and suffering on just a very raw level. Um, being able to surround myself with Christendom, especially a grieving Christendom, um, and be pointed to the hope that we have, um, 
is so, so important because the devil likes to take the, the hope that we have and distort it to the point that we question it. Um, that we wonder if we're getting trapped and we're going to be eaten alive by our grief. Um, and, and grief is, is very dark that way. Um, and so surrounding ourselves with a Christendom that says, no, this is not the way that this is supposed to be. And it's okay to acknowledge that. Um, and, and so we cry together and we grieve together, um, praying the Psalms, you know, you go through the Psalms and some of them are so raw that you almost feel embarrassed praying them out loud. Um, and so being able to courageously pray those out loud, um, and just pray through as many as you need to. Um, but then of course, all the beautiful hymns, um, that were mentioned before, as well as, you know, God's own child, I gladly say it. I think my children and I sang that hymn more times during that year than any other time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would catch my children just randomly belting out verses during the day. <laughs> so I would, I would have to say that was, that was some of the most comforting things for me during that time. Sure. Adrian, what about you? I can remember myself and I still find myself um, singing. I love our liturgy and I still find myself um, in situations singing Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world, have mercy on us, grant us your peace, um, both for my own sin and um, dealing with this, you know, the sins of others and the sins of myself, taking away that sin. But I can't tell you how many times I sang that song and it just happened when I came home in 2008, um, Kitty Schuerman um, is a very good friend. And I told her what had happened. And she's writing her, her book, her blog, for an immense cuff, comfort in truly sharing uh, the peace, peace of Christ. But I thank Katie for um, allowing herself to be vulnerable and writing such a beautiful, beautiful tool for the church to have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we've, we've talked with Katie for an hour uh, on, a, on a previous episode about that book. And it's, it's such a, a beautiful resource uh, for, for any woman or a uh, couple who is, who is grieving either the loss of children or, or not having children yet. It's, it's quite, quite wonderful. I actually took that book and gave it to family members mm-hmm. and friends who were, you know, it's hard to, for yourself while you're going through the process of grieving and your husband mm-hmm. to be able to explain some of the things that you're, you're going, going through and the help that you need and the comfort that you need, which is the only comfort that comforts is the peace that we have in Christ. And so I would really recommend that book for not only those who are struggling with miscarriage or loss, but grandparents maybe who would long to be grandparents mm-hmm. Um, and and haven't been given that gift. It's just beautiful, beautifully written. Again, thank her for that that gift. Absolutely, Kristen. What about you? Well, I became Lutheran right before we got married, so the whole idea of suffering and the cross was really new to me, mm-hmm. and I really struggled with um, really, I guess, with the trauma of having a baby born sick and die that we really weren't expecting. And I had been reformed before that. And it was kind of my impression that it worked this way with God. You do your part of the deal and he'll do his part of the deal. Mm. So you obey. And in in our case, you know, we were open to kids. So of course he was going to give us lots of healthy kids. 
and that didn't happen. And I, I really was struggling with my faith, trying to understand how God could allow that that to happen. So um, I, I agree with Audrey. It was really helpful just to have friends write notes and put scripture in it because I couldn't make sense of anything myself. And just hearing or reading the word of God that had been written out for me, I didn't have to search through my Bible, but people wrote out a lot of scripture for me. And that was so helpful. One little girl, um, I think she was like a third or fourth grader, wrote a note to me and it had Psalm 27 written out. And we ended up picking that as um, our daughter Vivian's Psalm. We ended up putting that on her tombstone. And if that little girl hadn't written that out, I may not have you know, noticed that at that time. So we were really thankful for Psalm 27. And uh, if I can be the third person to mentioned the Katie Schuerman book. Um, I, I really appreciate her focus. I mean, not even in dealing with loss, but in all sorts of suffering, that that's not what defines us, but our, our vocation comes from Christ. Our identity comes from Jesus and not whether we're a mother or whether we're a wife or, or what have you. So I've appreciated that. Yeah. Um, another book I would recommend is one by Amy Kubelbeck called Waiting with Gabriel. And it was the story of a, a boy who was born with the heart defect and what they, how they, how they dealt with his end of life. And our daughter's life had already ended, but it was helpful for me to go back and read her story and be able to process my grief and recognize that these children who died weren't worthless and they weren't without value, but each child has value and meaning and is loved by God. So that was really helpful for me to both process my emotions and recognize that my daughter was valuable to God. Absolutely. And uh, we'll put a link to uh, Katie Sherman's book, He Remembers the Baron, uh, with this audio so our listeners can find that book and uh, and hopefully receive um, some some comfort and, and maybe cry a little bit because I know I know I probably went through a box of tissues too when I read that book but it's a it's it's a cathartic read but but it's a, it really does point you to Christ and and remind you of of your vocation as you mentioned um, that yeah. that our worth is in Christ and and uh, he promises things to us uh, we need to take a quick break um, but we'll have more faith and family right after this. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Faith and Family is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. 
We're talking about uh, expectant parents who've experienced pregnancy and infant loss. And with me to share their stories today are Audrey Denzer, Kristen Gregory, Adrian Rasmussen, and Melanie Sorensen. So ladies, before the break, uh, we were talking about um, your personal stories and um, and the, the promises in God's word that you found helpful to you and hymns and devotions and Bible verses um, that helped you through your grieving process. And um, a lot of times, and this Katie uh, Sherman mentions this in her book, He Remembers the Baron, um, about the differences in how women grieve and, and in how, how husbands grieve. Um, you know, when, when we experience um, a miscarriage or, or an infant loss or, or something along those lines, it's a very physical experience and a very um, gut-wrenching experience for, for a woman to experience that. Um, and that's something that's hard for a, a husband to really feel alongside of us um, and that the grief process may be a little differently. So um, can you all explain uh, a little bit about how um, how your husband's grieved and, and how, you, how you grieve together as, as a couple then? Um, and experience the grief um, differently and and together. Um, Melanie, would you like to start? Yes, husbands definitely grieve differently. Um, and my husband and I had a little incident that we can laugh about now by the grace of God. Um, but after um, we found out that um, our our second child had died in the womb, who we named Anastasia, um, and, and that was the loss that was my latest loss. Um, you know, the, the baby was born into the second trimester. I locked myself into the nursery one night, just a couple nights after we found out the baby was dead and was having quite an emotional moment. And, um, my husband was supposed to be going to meetings that night. And I, before I went up, spun on him and said, if you go to those meetings, I might not be here when you get home because I might go stay with my mother. <laughs> and so he took the hint and stayed home. Um, and I stormed my way upstairs and began crying. And a short while later, there was a knock on the door and my husband came in with his collar on and his pastoral care companion and and began to try and offer pastoral support. <laughs> and um, that did not end very well for him <laughs> because I'm pretty sure I remember picking up a stuffed animal and chucking it at his head um, and then lamenting to him and saying, I don't need a pastor right now. I need a husband mm -hmm. because if if I don't have a husband grieving with me, then I am 100% alone in my grief. And that was very hard for him to understand. He, he was, he looked hurt. Um, it, I don't think we discussed it anymore that night. Um, however, after I was talked down by some godly Christian friends and pastor's wives, I simply went to him unemotionally and said, I need you to find a pastor to provide pastoral care for both of us. Mm -hmm. And that was the most wonderful thing that we could have done because we endured four more losses that year and having a pastor come to our home so that my husband could just be my husband. Um, and, and the pastor could provide counsel, um, and, and give us communion. Um, I remember the pastor that we chose, 
one particularly amazing evening sang a hymn to us like a lullaby. And it was just, we didn't sing with him. He just sang to us. And I just remember it was one of the most beautiful, intimate moments. Um, And so, but also husbands, they want to be heroes (laughs) and want to provide. And so giving your husband very physical things that he can do, you know, I, my husband, um, because we had a body to bury, he was able to dig a hole and, um, to provide that pastoral support of, of burying his child and, and doing the committal service. Um, he helped me design a stone to put in our garden, um, memorial stones, um, you know, just, just giving them things, letting them buy you chocolate, you know, whatever is your thing. Um, I found that the more I, I told my husband concrete things that he could do for me, the more we were then able to open up on an emotional level. Absolutely. Kristen, what about you? Yeah, I should say from the beginning that we were told by a lot of nurses at the NICU that these high stress and loss situations often lead to divorce. And that had never occurred to me, except the nurses were watching my husband and I were watching me and my husband um, sit by our daughter's bed and not be able to talk to each other and not be able to interact. I mean, we just didn't know how to deal with the the death that we both knew was coming and we were both you know we were new newly married and we were still getting to know each other so they actually recommended that we see a counselor so that we could just learn to communicate with each other about this and we did we were really thankful we did i have no idea what the counselor told us but i do know that i came away from that realizing um it was okay that we grieved differently we did not have to experience the same feelings um, I think about it a lot more than he does, and that's okay. Um, I know a lot of wives want their husbands to experience the same feelings, and they just don't um, because they don't carry that baby with them, and they have a different vocation than we do. So um, the strange thing that happened with us was right after our daughter died, my husband got his first call, and so he ended up being fully employed at a church if, you know, within a couple of weeks of her dying. And so he was gone all day and all night because he was at a big church, you know, in a big city with a school and he was gone all day. And I was basically home alone. I worked a part time job and I was basically laying in bed all day crying, (laughs) which I know sounds unhealthy, but it was really good for me to be able to work a lot of that out then. And um, yeah, we've we've just grieved differently and I've been okay with that. That's that's been okay that we have our different grief. Mm. Absolutely. Audrey, what about you? Well, several people told me that um, husbands and wives grieve very differently and it's important to communicate. Um, I tend to be the one who has more trouble communicating than my husband sometimes. So this actually forced us to make a lot of hard decisions. You know, were we going to name the baby? Were we going to have a burial service or a funeral? Were we going to take pictures? Um, Were we even going to look at the baby? And then later on, um, designed a headstone and we had to pick out all that, you know, what we wanted on it and the picture and everything. And um, I mean, we're still working on talking about it. Um, Sometimes I have so many thoughts going through my mind and different emotions that it's hard to put them into words and explain what I'm feeling to my husband. But at the same time, 
I think we had a much easier time making decisions about this than sometimes we tend to. Um, usually we kind of dread picking baby names and things like that because we're both so indecisive, but somehow we were really able to come together and make some hard choices, which was good for us, I think. Absolutely. Adrian, what about you? We had been married for 12 years before we had our first pregnancy and miscarriage. And so, um, and we, we had dated before a few years before then. We had, we had a long track record um, together and uh, we were living overseas and we had to have a DNC and come home. And so we had no tangible service or pastor because we were in seminary, um, pastor to cling to and in transition. And um, I remember, I do, I will say, I, I remember um, then we learned how to pray together mm-hmm. um, and to be uh, very vulnerable in our prayers together. And because we were in transition, my husband really was very... Um, <laughs> pastoral. <laughs> um, and I needed, I needed to hear um, that from him. And he knew that. And he was so supportive. It's so confusing to know as a woman what's happening with your body. And especially for your husband to know, you know, to, to try to understand. He, he gave me those words of comfort and he would grab my hand and say, let's pray uh, mm-hmm. together, together right now. And I'm very, very thankful for that time that we, um, developed in that in that time of need uh, a prayer life um together and uh i don't know he was we definitely grieve very differently i remember when katie's book out my husband said look honey there's the, her first edition came out with a woman on in the fetal position on the mm-hmm. ground and that that was me mm-hmm. <laughs> um the, you know that's uh, i grieved outwardly and cried a lot and he was there to hold my hand and to pray and to ask what I, you know, what what can I do? And I had a DNC over in Eng- in England overseas, and then a couple months later, I was still having problems and had to go through a second DNC, which felt like going through it all over again. And I had a lot of nightmares about um, was I having abortion? Was this baby really dead? Uh, mm-hmm. Because you do have to trust that the physicians are correct and what we see on the monitor is correct and they know. And so we have to trust in the Lord that he's working through these physicians. And so um, I'm thankful for my, to my husband for being that uh, even keel that I really need needed then. Absolutely. With these children that, that are with the Lord, uh, what ways do you find helpful to uh, remember these children and, and to, um, I think a lot of parents, you know, worry that they're going to, they're going to forget or when they have another child, they're going to not, they're going to forget the ones that that aren't with them in this life. Um, What, what do you like to do to remember or commemorate a birthday or, or a baptism? And what are those things that you like to do? Um, Adrian? You know, I, I do have that guilt because our, our daughters are three and five and I sometimes think, oh gosh, what year was it that I had the miscarriage? Okay, and then I have to do the math to think, okay, this this child would be uh, nine years old now. But, um, you know, I, I guess for me, because I don't, I never had, I didn't have the tangible. Um, I, we have such joy in the Lutheran Church, Missouri, and in our understanding of children and faith and that that child heard the word of God in the womb 
and when you know I received communion that I guess I, I don't have we don't have anything that we do specifically to remember we have a desire to want to share with with those who have lost their children that there is comfort in the resurrection um, that that child is with the Lord and so I guess for us we don't have a tangible thing that we do to commemorate uh, birthday or uh, when we had the miscarriage, but we definitely have this burning desire to enjoy every moment with our children. When I was pregnant, to just enjoy those moments of being present, pregnant and have comfort that maybe I wouldn't be able to meet this child. We're thankful for the children we have, but to, to try to see the joy um, in just the everyday steps and to share that joy with with others who maybe have um, a misunderstanding on what happens to children who are not born healthy and have a baptism to, to share that joy of your child did hear the word of God in the womb. That's the gift that we have and we celebrate and we want to share with others. Absolutely. Kristen, what about you? Um, it was very freeing for me when I realized that Vivian's life in Christ did not depend upon me remembering her because I didn't have this child anymore to show people, look, I'm a mom or, you know, look, I remembered her. I thought about her today. I do think about her all the time, but I would find myself over time. And as other kids have come along, maybe forgetting something that happened or, and then feeling guilty thinking, mm-hmm. how could I forget? And then it, it, it was very freeing when I realized it does not matter if I remember or not. I could have Alzheimer's and never remember her, you know, when I'm 80 years old, but she's still baptized. She still belonged to Jesus. And that's just something without question that has nothing to do with me. That was a very freeing thing. Um, We do celebrate with our kids, our daughter's birthday and death date. So um, January 31st, sometimes we'll make a cake and we always get out her scrapbooks. Um, we talk about her, we read through her journals that I kept while we were in the hospital and on her death date, we do the same, um, with our kids. They've got a lot of questions and they have a lot of tears because they don't know her and, um, you know, didn't know her except through the pictures and stories that we tell. So it's, it's been important for us to share that with our family so that it's not something that we just swept under the rug, but something they're aware of too. Earlier, I, I, I think um, someone mentioned uh, God's own child, I gladly say it. And that is um, another helpful, I think, tool to have. And it's an illustrated book by Gloria Press that does a a beautiful job of illustrating um, the life of a child in in Christ. Um, If you all haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. It's uh, very comforting in walking the life of a baptism and a Christian. Absolutely. I bought that book for my my uh, niece that was most recently born in honor oh. of her baptism. Yeah, that's yeah. a great book. Yeah, it's a great tool. Yes. Wonderful tool. Absolutely. Audrey, what about you? Uh, it's only been about seven months since my last, so we haven't started any traditions or anything. Um, and I'm not sure if we will or not. Um, one thing I'm thankful for is that we took the opportunity in the hospital to take some pictures um, before this happened, it's something I probably would have thought was kind of weird, um, taking pictures of a dead baby. Um, why on earth would you want to do that? And I don't really look at them that often, but I'm very thankful that I have them. Um, 
just in case, you know, I do want to remember my daughter and kind of what she looked like because she was created by God and, um, you know, she wasn't perfect, but she um, was definitely, like I mentioned before, you know, it was kind of amazing just to see how her body was formed and she was obviously a human baby, you know, even though she was not very old. So I'm very thankful for that. And also, like Adrian mentioned, um, I've kind of been thankful to have this, to have gone through this experience and have the chance to talk with other women about this. Um, several friends of mine have had miscarriages since mine. And um, kind of, I've had the chance to talk with them and to understand a little bit more about how to listen to them and how to comfort them. And I think that's important too. Absolutely. Melanie, what about you? Um, I love what Kristen said about um, not being bound in guilt to um, feeling like we have to remember every little thing or we didn't fully appreciate or enjoy that gift and that life. Um, It's amazing. The more miscarriages we had, the more... Um, kind of a Job situation rolled out where we had um, well-meaning friends and family um, saying things to us. They they didn't want to watch us suffer. Um, and and the more you know, children that went home to the Lord, we endured um, a lot of questions about why are we continuing to receive these gifts? You know, maybe it was time to to stop and um, and all of those things and and we chose to continue on as husband and wife um, in the gifts that the Lord gives as he gives them. Um, And one of the things that we learned during that time um, is that grief takes on um, all kinds of shapes and forms and you know, Christians especially, we like to say, yes, but we have to grieve as one with hope. And, and we like to paint these pictures of what that's supposed to look like. Um, but, but one of the pastors that I was working with at the time, he said to me, um, and this is a quote that, that he emailed to me. He said, the only thing that hope modulates in grief is how the Christian thinks and speaks about it. Christians recognize it as the vestiges of death and the cost of loving someone who has died, but also recognize that death itself has been defeated and that these days are drawing to a close. Um, And so being okay with grieving when you feel like grieving and then laughing when you feel like laughing, recognizing what you feel like recognizing, but then just joyfully basking in whatever you have to bask in um, and and remembering what you want to remember and um, letting go of the rest. And some of the things that we have done because we were losing so many babies back to back is we would instantly name the child as soon as we found out we were pregnant. And we made the decision that we would give the child a name for when they were in the womb And if they made it to baptism, then we would give them a different name. Um, That way it could be a name that was more, you know, generic for um, male or female. 
Um, but then when, when that child reached life on the outside, we could give them uh, a more personal name. Um, and so my two living children since then have names that were in the womb and then they have their earthly names. And that's just kind of something special for us. Um, and a dear, dear friend um, that we had asked to be a godparent to one of the babies that we lost sent us a crucifix um, in the mail when we lost him. And then on his due date, she sent us a little envelope with some silk lilies in it that we were able to push onto the crucifix to adorn it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was one of the most touching gifts that we were given. Um, So having that crucifix with the lilies, and I've since done that for friends that have lost babies. Um, And then the final thing that we've done that we just started is we declared our own family All Saints Day. And for us, that is on February 18th, the day I gave birth to Anastasia. And we have a handmade banner that we hang up that has a card dangling from it for all 12 of our children. And the living ones have a hummingbird on one side and their name and baptismal birth date on the other. And the ones that have gone home to the Lord have a butterfly on one side and the day that um, I miscarried on the other um, with their, with the name that we had given them. And, um, we use that day as a day to laugh and celebrate and we sing hymns together and we eat junk food and, um, we just thank the Lord for all the gifts and all the gifts to come. That's a lovely tradition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so in our remaining few minutes, it can be hard for, um, friends and family members to know, uh, what to say or or what to do or what not to say or what not to do um, when when a, a parents are, are going through this experience. So is there something that um, your friends or your family member or even your husband said or did that um, helped you through your grieving process or pointed you back to the cross uh, or or just or something some piece of advice for women who, who are currently grieving um, to give them a little bit of comfort. What is, what is that one thing? Um, let's go to Melanie first. I received a card in the mail and I opened it up. And the only thing that it said on the inside was Easter is coming. Hmm. And I think I cried <laughs> for about an hour after I read that. And I still have that card. Um, And I think those words have been what I have used to comfort any of my friends ever since that have lost a baby. Um, Our Easter is coming. And um, that gives us so much freedom. You know, I think as women, we have, as Kristen mentioned, this this idea that, you know, we we get married um, we we welcome the Lord's gifts. And that means it's going to be X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you realize that your life is not unfolding the way that you had picture book planned it. Um, And especially for women that um, maybe endure infertility and then miscarriages or or whatever, um, as the years tick by and your family is not, you know, the way that you thought it would be, there can be this sense of panic of, you know, time is running out. but it's not. Um, Easter is coming. 
And when Easter, when our Easter comes, um, and we have that perfect communion with the Lord and with all of Christendom, um, all of these timelines and expectations are going to die joyfully. Um, and, and we will have everything that, that we've ever needed and wanted. And because we'll be with the Lord and that has been what has comforted me the most in all the ways that the devil tries to attack us with the law. Absolutely. I'm going to go write that in my cue ball when we're done with this conversation. <laughs> uh, Adrian, what about you? Gosh, you know, that um, that's a hard one um, because in terms of what, what to say or what to do or how to comfort um, because it's only the word of, of words of our Lord uh, that comfort. Mm-hmm. And it is um, difficult as somebody who's struggling with having children, you know, for 12 years and to have miscarriage. I, um, in our sinful nature, to offer words of comfort. And when you're grieving, um, whether it's that you can't have children or you've lost your child or you've miscarried, those words um, often seem um, well-meaning, well but f- fall, fall short. Um, and so I had to remind myself um, that as I am a forgiven uh, as I am forgiven in Christ and clothed in Christ's righteousness, so I too forgive and to recognize that um, we are both saint and sinner at the same time and to uh, accept, I don't want to say accept, I guess, but to to take on those, the love, the loving Christ-like actions of our neighbor and not to judge, but to take take them as they come. Um, I think that was a really hard thing for me. And so to point myself back to scripture or to have my friends point me back to scripture um, is, is key. Um, and as I, I said, I think in the beginning, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. I just love that, that part of that moment in the liturgy um, and carry that with me all the time. Sure. Audrey, what about you? I uh, I think it's always better to say something than nothing to a mother and father who are grieving. Um, even if you don't know what to say, just say, you know, I'm sorry. I'm praying for you. Um, the melting hug, right? You don't have to go into some long feel right. about, you know, whatever you're feeling or thinking, because sometimes we tend to say things that make us feel better, but don't really help someone who's grieving a lot. And um, like I mentioned before, I really appreciated when people wrote down stanzas or Bible verses for me, even practical things like bringing a meal or um, offering to babysit if they already have children. Um, One of our members watched our children for us when I had to go into the hospital to be induced. And that just meant so much that I knew they were in good hands and didn't have to worry about them because we don't live close to family here. So all of those things are really helpful. And one of the things that has comforted me a lot is um, the last line of the creed, which we say every week in church. Um, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And we, we trust in God's mercy that he's going to take care of these little ones whom he's called to himself. And we don't really understand why, um, but God knows better than we do. And so... All we can do is just look forward to that resurrection and everything will be made new in Christ. Absolutely. And Kristen, what about you? 
I think people who haven't experienced loss or maybe even some who have don't really know what to say and think that if you talk about it with the grieving mother or father that it might make it worse. Mm. And at least for me, the one child I had was gone. And if no one could talk about it with me, then I just felt lost. And and um, like maybe she had never happened. Maybe I'd imagined it all or I don't know. There was just this huge sense of loss. And there were some friends who were really amazing and just saying, how are you doing? Or, um, you know, what do you think she would be like today? Or what color did you want to paint your nursery? Or just asking me questions about what I had imagined or um, what I was missing about her that day. And so I appreciated people being willing to acknowledge Vivian and people being willing to acknowledge that, um, you know, I was a mother and that I had desires and hopes and dreams like everybody else had. So I appreciate those people who really walked alongside me. It wasn't clean. It wasn't, you know, they had the perfect questions or the perfect things to say, but I could tell they cared and I could tell that they um, loved my daughter and loved me. And that was, that was enough. That was what I needed. Absolutely. We are, uh, we're all out of time today, ladies, but uh, I appreciate all of you sharing your stories and, and your insights. And, uh, and uh, we all look forward to the resurrection and, and seeing Jesus on the last day. So thank you, Audrey, Kristen, Adrian, and Melanie. It's been a pleasure having you as my guests. You've been listening to Faith and Family, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. Faith and Family is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you anytime, anywhere since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift.